Welcome to the Strides with Gray Wolf podcast with your host, Nate Reich. This podcast was created to share athlete stories on their road to the 2020 Paralympic and Olympic Games with the hope of motivating and inspiring the next generations of athletes. Throughout this podcast, we will discuss topics such as adversity, success, mindset, the peaks and valleys of sport, plus much more. Today, Season 2, Episode 11, we have a very special guest, Misha Powell. Misha comes from an athletic background, with her father being the world record holder and her mother being a three-time Olympian, but she has plenty of her own success. Misha found success competing at University of Maryland, where she owns both the indoor and outdoor 400-meter school records, as well as the 2016 Olympian as a member of the 4x4 relay team, with blistering PB of 5197. Without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Misha Powell. Oh my gosh, I think that was my favorite intro ever. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me, Nate. <laughs> of course, how are you doing? Oh, I've been good. Honestly, I feel like better since the last time that we talked. That was like the, at the beginning of the pandemic almost and uh, feeling much, I have more clarity now. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. How is how has training been going? Obviously, I'm assuming you've started the uh, Olympic season now. Um, yes. How is all that going? Yes, thanks for asking. It's going well. Uh, we are adapting. We are training at in parks. We're training um, some days at the athletic center at York, and other days we're training on like a makeshift hill. So it's been a bit of like a blend of everything. And um, now with the lockdown or the stage two regression in uh, Ontario, when it comes to weights, you know, you have to lift outside. So we are definitely making the best of what we have. Um, and I might just, that might change when I uh, talk to you again in November when it gets colder. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. And so I think it's so important for the listeners to understand where where you come from and how it was growing up. So how was it growing up as uh, Misha Powell? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so I'm from Montreal. Originally, uh, my first language is French. And then I learned English um, when I was like seven or eight. So um, my mom is a single mom. And uh, my dad, of course, he's still in my life, but they just never got married. And so my mom was like my biggest uh, source of inspiration. She worked on television. And I knew that she was uh, still, you know, running and, and staying active. So for me, I thought that everybody had really athletic parents, like that was just the norm. And then I quickly realized when I would ask people like, Oh, do you still do sports? And they were in the 30s and 40s. And they're like, what are you talking about kids? So that I realized was like, a you know, big reality check that not everybody, uh, you know, is doing sports at that high level. And I'm so grateful that my mom and my dad uh, were able to not pressure me to do track, but definitely stay in that athletic sport setting no matter what so I loved uh athletics I did everything from figure skating swimming um I loved dodgeball I loved I just loved always being uh athletic and energetic and then I moved around a lot so my mom she would go to like one station for to another so I moved to the states that's where I learned a little bit more English and I remember being worried at first because my English wasn't that strong and I remember people were like oh why why are you talking like that because you know Moving to Atlanta from uh, Montreal, of all the places, it's not the easiest transition, but I made it. And I think that uh, going to the States it definitely makes you a lot stronger because uh, people are a lot more forward there. <laughs> and uh, it definitely gives you like tougher skin. And then I um, 
yeah, I, I just continued on with my uh, with my athleticism. I really started to take uh, track seriously, like really, it was a part of my just my life. When I was uh, 17, I did cross country and I loved it. And it's just like a really positive thing. And then most people are like, what, why, why did you choose um, such a long distance, such a long event? And I just love the camaraderie behind it. And I actually really love running like for long distances. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be going back to as long as 5k, but uh, I definitely like that feeling, you know, the wind and your legs pumping. And I love just being with my teammates. So that was at least at high school that I did that. And then I got recruited, um, later on so not like right away i wasn't really even sure if i was going to be pursuing track and field for university but everything aligned and i went to university of maryland where i wasn't the fastest um going in but i had a lot of heart a lot of grit and i remember just not really knowing uh much about like who the biggest uh, names were in track so i wasn't too uh starstruck when somebody was like oh did you know that girl's in the race i was like all right let's i don't know like let's just run and i think that really helped me uh just being a little bit ignorant to who people were in the sport and then i remember when i um made the olympic team uh that really hit me hard like i think that that definitely um made me almost like lose sight of what I was running for because then I start, started thinking about everybody else, what it meant being an Olympian um, and then living up to an Olympic standard, whatever that means, you know, like, I don't know. I think I was just thinking, Oh man, like I'm not like those Olympians, but that doesn't make sense. Like we're all our own individual athletes. So as I've grown, I've learned to be so appreciative of what I've done and not to put myself down before I even really get started. And also one thing that I liked so much is that my coach in Maryland, when I went to University of Maryland, uh, Andrew Bellman, he said, uh, I want to make sure that when you're in this program, you're Misha Powell, you're not Mike Powell's daughter, you're not Rosietta's daughter. So that helped me right, right away realize, like, I have my own, you know, legacy that I am uh, still, still, you know, putting putting down. And uh, even with this pandemic, I'm really hoping to, uh, to improve on all the times I've run. Yeah, no. Absolutely. And did you say you lived in Atlanta? Yes, Atlanta, Georgia. Where about? Um, oh my gosh. It was really close to the C the CNN and like Cartoon okay. Network oh. building. Yeah. I did because I lived in Milton, Georgia, which is like twenty miles north. Um, and so I did not I did not know that about you. That's really cool. Um connection. I love it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No. For sure. And so I know you touched on it a little bit, um, as I think you and I understand. Um, obviously, I don't have a dad that's a world record holder. A mom is a three-time Olympian, but um, I have eight or nine professional athletes in my family. Yeah. And so how was it uh, growing up in that atmosphere? And like you said, your mom didn't really push you. And that's kind of how my mom was. And um, was that love for track kind of at first or did that uh, evolve uh, over time? Yes. Great, great question. So yeah, it's kind of perfect that you have the same uh, experience as me. Um, I think that it was really beneficial because I was always encouraged to do sports. And I know it's really tough for girls once you hit, um, you know, like high school age, just uh, with uh, social pressure and, uh, you know, worries and anxieties about your body. So having a mom that was, you know, always active and uh, also just being surrounded by people that really love sport was really important for me. So growing up, like I said, everybody was always, always knew me as you know, being on sports teams and, uh, and pushing myself and having fun. And so that was really positive. But then of course, um, having 
having parents like my mom and my dad looking up to them and knowing everything that they've done, it does get hard. I know when I was in university, I had a couple breakdowns, like calling my mom being like, I don't understand, you know, like I, I want it to be so much better. And um, obviously everything that you've accomplished, it's like not the same. And I remember my mom telling me, she's like, Misha, you know, you run a faster 400 meter than I ever have run. So like you, you can't again, expect this trajectory to be the same. Um, but no matter what, you're just always going to have your parents accolades kind of, you know, above you. Um, but it was, it was motivating and obviously it was tough to live up to, but I keep saying that, um, it's not over yet. And I'm so lucky that, you know, I can still train and, and be healthy. And a lot of people actually have said, so about, you know, having my dad as the world record holder, they always ask me, Oh, so do you think you're going to do long jump? And I have to say, like, I really want to, because when I went to Maryland, I got the longest uh, standing long jump. And I, again, had like no experience, no training. And I just thought that was kind of fun. And I could tell like that, you know, people just wanted me to run the 400 just so I could have my own individual event. But it's got me thinking, why can't I just follow along into his path and see what happens? So that'll be probably after 2021, hoping that everything goes well and hoping that the Olympics do happen. So I guess there is that hope when I have parents like that, I see that I can achieve a lot. And as long as I communicate and when I have those down days, you know, I call my mom, I call my dad, just asking them about their opinion. Um, and it really helps, especially having my mom as, you know, my inspiration because she was on Athletics Canada. So she's seen the changes in the growth of the program. So a lot of times she'll give me that perspective. She would be like, we didn't even get that kind of gear. Or like they didn't even do this for us, you know, when I was growing up. So that really helps a lot. And uh, yeah, I think it's all about perspective. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's obviously it's very clear that your mom was a huge role model within your life. Can you kind of tell us about her and maybe um, the things that she really taught you growing up and that have really helped you in sport? Yes. Okay. So my mom is, oh my gosh, she's so creative. She's so resilient. Um, she has her master's in uh, art history. And a lot of people might not know that because it just seems like such a random um, degree, but she's so smart and she loves like everything that's, oh, everything that's creative and beautiful. And that's why she's a director now. And she's just done a lot of things on her own that a lot of people probably wouldn't like exactly see her as doing that but that's the thing about her she's so special she doesn't fit inside any box um and she was uh so she grew up in montreal uh with her sister and her brother and her mom and her mom single mom also uh had to raise three kids in like a basement apartment like people used to come in thinking it was a floor and they would walk into her place it was like you know she told me all these traumatizing things but it was just growing up poor in montreal like sugar sandwiches, stuff like that. And that always, again, gives me perspective and makes me feel so um, grateful for everything I've received. And I, I always work hard because I know like, you know, everything I have isn't a given. And so she's taught me a lot about um, being like, just being so like taking every opportunity that you get and making the most out of it. Um, she's very, clear and forward like I used to think actually that it was a bad thing I used to tell her mom you don't care about anything <laughs> you nothing affects you and then I realized again as I got older I said, oh no of course not of course she cares like it, it's just that when I think it comes from being single mom a uh, professional athlete 
and uh, really making your own career, you have to know what you want and you you can't really like let things get to you. Um, of course, it's good to be vulnerable with people that you trust, but you gotta keep pushing and you gotta think about things like in the big picture. And so, um, yeah, so my mom has been crazy, crazy uh, dry for me. She used to coach me without doing the workout because there's just that dynamic. We're so close, so it's tough to separate that. And now I train my coaches, Bob Weston, and it's like, it's just so exponentially different in like all the best ways because now I have my mom as a support, like emotional support, and I can tell her everything and it doesn't have to come with the well, this girl ran this, you know, I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm always going to feel that it, I'm not doing enough. But of course, that's not the point. It's just that she's always going to be there to look at everything. But then now, because Bob's my coach, that is his number one role. So I go to him for that unbiased perspective uh, as a coach. And um, yeah, she, so I think so many people know she was a three-time Olympian and uh, she had me in uh, 1995 and went to her third Olympic team, qualified uh in 1996 and uh, got six at the olympics and sage just recently um broke her record uh in 2019 and it's amazing because you know my mom's record was standing for so long and it's fantastic to see this of course like such a strong wave of uh 400 meter hurdlers so my mom really was was that 400 meter you know canadian trailblazer like just every national is going and and out out working herself and uh she did it all with me you know it's, it's, so it's really inspirational and i think a lot of times she kind of brushes it off like yeah 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 whatever but i mean not a lot of people can say that you know going through um the anxiety of raising a kid by yourself and also uh uncertainty of a career and still going to the olympics and uh i remember she told me this really funny story so for perspective as, as olympic athletes as we are you know, when you're thinking about racing in, you know, the next round and you're like, okay, oh my gosh, it's going to go well. You have to get sleep, but you, you, know, you don't want to sleep too much or too little. So my mom, this was between the trials and the semis. So she made it to the semis and she went to go check up on me and like, you know, change me or whatever. And my, my grandmother was watching me and she's like, this is so weird. I can't do this. I don't like, this is, I don't understand. I'm going to race tomorrow. Like I can't. So she really had to separate herself. And I was like, whoa, I, I never thought about that, you know, because that's a completely different role. You know, we're athletes, so we're very selfish and we have to be, but when you're a parent and you just like have a baby, you're just thinking, wait, this is, I don't understand what's happening. So that was cool for her to let me like, give me some of that insight because again, we're, we're, like a completely different, um, we're just on another mental state when it comes to competing, like at that level, you're just honestly thinking about such, such different things that like so few people understand. So I really, really commend her because she's so strong and, uh, she's helped me a lot with, uh, feeling, getting a little bit more of that certainty for myself and, and knowing that in the end, things are going to work out. It's okay. Don't have to overthink. Um, yeah, she's just been such a great support for me. Yeah, no, that's that's so awesome. The first thing that comes to my head is that Coach K says to his athletes, be strong like your mothers. And that's kind of the, the, the first thing that kind of popped in my head. And, you know, we both have that in common. And, uh, boy, I don't know where I'd be without without my uh, mother. And so now let's transition to college. Um, how has that tra 
transition because obviously you, you lived a lot within Canada yes. and then the States is, you know, it's, I just made that transition from the U S to Canada and uh, they're very similar countries in some ways, but mm-hmm. then they're very vastly different, which is one thing I was very surprised about. Yes. yes. Oh, great, great question. So I went to university of Maryland and uh, people uh, no, Maryland is a, it's like a blue state, so it's a democratic state, so it's fairly liberal. So I was lucky already to go to a school where there's a lot of diversity. And uh, also going to the States, there's a huge, huge, huge uh, department for athletics, uh, which is a great thing. Uh, but also it still feels a little bit um, like you're getting like you're kind of getting gypped a little bit because everything is revolving around football. And when you're in track and field, you just see the juxtaposition you're like okay i know i'm an athlete and people think that i just get everything handed to me but i'm not exactly getting everything <laughs> that um other sports teams have so that was already kind of interesting to be an athlete but even in a sub genre of athlete you know we're the we're the team that doesn't generate that much money so we have to worry about um doing well for ourselves and our friends and whoever shows up, which could be 10 people as opposed to, you know, Oh, are the scouts here? Are they making sure that, you know, um, that there's enough people like the generating revenue for the school, all those things. So it was, it was good because obviously there's so much invested in uh, the programs there in the States, but then already you kind of see the difference between teams. So that was, you know, different uh, experience for me. And then going to uh, uh, train and um, compete at NCAAs in uh, so there, there's one in Jacksonville. That was my first uh, East regional uh, conference regional that I made. And it was so exciting and scary. There's so many people, like I've never raced with that many people in the crowd. And I just remember in uh, 2016, when I ran my 51.9, just thinking, wow, like my legs hurt so much, but I'm so happy I pushed, you know, because that's the thing. There's always going to be somebody to push you when you're running at that level. And I'm so glad that I got to have that experience because there's just a bigger population in this, in the States. Um, like I said, again, there's a lot more, um, money invested in it. So you just have this, uh, unlimited, you know, resource of, uh, competition and almost like professionalism before you even become a pro. So that helped a lot. Um, it was difficult going to the States, uh, in terms of the culture, like I was saying again about how people are very upfront and, um, I don't know. I felt like when I came, uh, there were, of course, a lot of stereotypes associated with being Canadian. Uh, we're, you know, super friendly, but like, like overly friendly, you know, <laughs> and um, a lot of people didn't even know where Toronto was. So that was a little bit confusing for me because then I would be asked like questions about, you know, American um, history. And I'm like, okay, I don't know everything, but that doesn't mean that I don't know anything. And that, you, I'm not going to quiz you on my Canadian history. So it was, it was interesting. It was tough because also like uh, you are faced a lot more with your um, identity. So obviously I'm black and I'm a woman. So there was a lot of intersectionality going on there because in the States it's tough, like within your own demographic, do you fit in? Like for me, um, a lot of instances, even in my own team, people were like, Oh, Misha, you like such white music. And like, Misha, you like um, just not black things. And I was so confused because I love listening to Daniel Caesar. And last time I checked, he's black. But again, it's so strange because in the States, a lot of categories and a lot of labeling. And of course, it happens here in Canada. But I guess because I was 
you know, a young adult age, I could notice more things. I just felt like I was trying to, I was trying to navigate which box I felt I fit in. And, uh, that was really different for me. I felt like when I was in Canada, um, of course still had instances of, uh, like, uh, feeling like I needed to meet the, a, a norm, like, especially when you go to a school, which like predominantly it's white. So there's always like, you just feel like the standard is whiteness, but I still felt like it wasn't that I was going to be given less things because I was black. So that was already like, my idea was, Oh, I'm going to go to the States where everyone's going to like me. But no, it was very much like, if you don't fit into this category, then we don't really know where you fit. So you have to tell us. And I was like, Oh, that, I didn't really like that. So that was tough. Um, and then when I got older, I realized, well, everybody has insecurities and I don't have to feel bad because I don't fit one mold. Um, and then, of course, I was just so happy to be in classes that were specifically specifically teaching black history because I didn't know uh, in depth about uh, black history. And, um, you know, it's very it's very strange. You know, you come from Canada thinking like, oh, I'm I, I know a lot about things, but then you only actually come in with like one view of blackness, which is like, okay, we're going to talk about slavery and everyone just looks at me and I'm like, guys, I, I don't have the answer. I wasn't there. <laughs> like, why are you looking at me? But then in the States, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of depth in the education. So I was so happy with that. And again, just, um, lots of different interactions with people, but I'm so happy I got that experience because it reminded me that you don't have to have everyone like you. You just have to make sure that you, go especially in a program that's like you know very um there's a lot of like pressures attached to it and sometimes you're going to feel like oh you know am i performing well enough and oh, there's other girls who are running faster that's fine because there's one misha and i'm gonna i'm gonna contribute to this program and i did and i was so happy so that was like what i got out of it mostly was i broke uh school records and i did so with not a lot of um accolades before that because I was I wasn't really uh, I wasn't running for that long before I went to Maryland like only really a year so I was so happy that I could leave with what my goal was which was to really you know make a difference in the sprints program are you enjoying the strides with gray wolf podcast don't forget to rate review and subscribe so you never miss an episode now back to the show with your host Nate Reich yeah wow that's uh that's so awesome. And I can't even imagine that trans that transition because when I moved from Arizona to Georgia, I thought it felt like it was a whole different world. Um, so yeah, I, I can't imagine for you what that was like. And now let's talk about high performance a little bit. Um, and for me, um, I've always been curious about success and failure. And so what do those mean to you? And how do you address those when those come up within your career? Yes. Um, so... I have had to change my um, definition of success and failure over the years, um, especially in 20, 2018, because I was coming off of like a hamstring snag and, you know, I wasn't making as many teams as I wanted. And um, I was so fortunate to have um, access to a mental health coach. So Lisa, who uh, used to work at the hub, um, so she's, been a really great supporter for me and I remember we had like a chart and we talked about failure and how to like reimagine what it is and it's actually just like a learning opportunity but even more so it's a chance for me to face something that I first thought oh my gosh this is going to be terrible <laughs> to actually break it down 
and see the controllables and then write up the uncontrollables and kind of let that go. And um, yeah, like I remember I used to get really, really anxious before track meets and I would get just like worried about the lane assignments. I was worried about the weather. Oh my gosh, I was I was worried about how much sleep so how much sleep I got like the night before, and then I realized oh my gosh, I put all this work into my training. Like one night of weird sleep um, is not gonna it's not gonna affect me. You know, I have to remember all the time I put in. And for success, oh my gosh, that's really changed. So for example, um, I had this equation in my mind that every time I was gonna race every year, I was gonna get better no matter what. <laughs> Which, of course, in hindsight, does not make any sense because you're going to run so much faster than when you first started running track. And there's going to have to be that plateau eventually. And then you slowly climb from there. But because I was thinking, well, I'm running really fast. So 51, that's going to lead to 50 points tomorrow. <laughs> but of course not. And that's really that really um, affected me because I was I wasn't seeing that, you know, upward trajectory. And I really wanted to. So I think I started to really get too preoccupied with the time as opposed to realizing that I ran 51 in like the span of, you know, two, three years in the sport, uh, com competing competitively. So that already should have been a sign that that is really quick. You know, that's a really fast transition because we were running like 55, <laughs> not that long before. And I still hadn't gotten all of my technique down like for right now what bob and i are working on is uh that like the contact with the ground really striking really getting out of the blocks like really really powerful strides upright and i'm like wow see those are things that i'm instilling now so who's to say how you know how far i'm going to go from in the future so i needed to realize that um sometimes you can have really bad expectations you know it's like baseless it's just oh well everyone's running fast. I should be running faster. And, um, there is of course that good, you know, com competitive edge. You want to feel like I have to get faster every year, of course. But I think what I used, I used to equate success with was every year I'm going to shave off a second. <laughs> and I, I, and I definitely have to change that, um, idea. And I, and I have like, for example, during COVID, I was like, Nope, I'm going to get to every practice uh, early. I'm going to um, have a goal, one goal in mind, and I'm going to leave the track feeling um, like I accomplished one thing. And that helped so much because then I wasn't uh, so preoccupied with 10 steps ahead. It was just what I wanted to do in that moment. So finally I could accomplish something instead of thinking that I failed at like eight things. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think sometimes we just see success as that time or that when a lot of times you're evolving as an athlete and you don't have the opportunities to really show that. And then all of a sudden, two, three years later, you have this huge PB and you're like, oh, I was getting better every year. There's just that there's not that stat to kind of show it. And Heather Henninger, I'm sure I'm sure, you know, Heather and she's uh, she's pounded that with a hammer in, into my head. So. She's so smart. She's so smart. Honestly, that's a good point too. How there isn't a measure, at least attached to our bio, that says, you know, they have run this well over this period of time, as opposed to just here's their PB and that's all you see. It's like, no, no, look, look at that progression. I, I like that. That's a great point. 
Yeah. And, you know, one of my motivations for creating this podcast is understanding different approaches and high performers. And what does your performance mindset look like? Is it something you came into organically or is it something or is it something that you've written down or is it more eternally? Like, what does that look like? As you know, I created my Grey Wolf mentality and it's written down and it has principles and things like that. But what does yours look like? So what works for me is I love to write things down. I love to immediately input my um workout like whether it's times or progression or weights right after i do it because i know me i'm gonna forget and the week goes by i'm like wait what what did i run oh shoot and then it's too late so i do that in my phone or in like notepad that i have and then recently actually what i like even more so than that because i find that i don't look back enough you know like i don't not I'm not good yet at thinking like, oh, I'm going to look at what I did a month ago. It's kind of like internalized, but I want to actually be refreshed. So I've been writing affirmations and I have sticky notes all over my wall. So that way I get up and I'm doing work on my computer. I just read a couple of them and they're so good for me because they're tailored to me. So it's not just, you know, obviously great generic things like, you know, you can do it and, you know, be positive, but it's more specific as so what goals I want. So obviously this coming year, I'd love to uh, make another Olympic team. And this time I specified because for Rhea, I remember I said, Oh, I want to make the Olympics, but I didn't specify enough and say that because I thought I was ranked second going into the finals. I'm like, Oh, this is great. Like I'm ranked second, but of course not. I should have been like, I'm going to make the Olympic team in the individual 400 and I will not stop until they say, Misha Powell, you're running the 400, you know, for Canada. So I now know to be way more specific and more purposeful in my training. So for example, uh, another thing that Lisa's helped me with is the first rep, make that rep count. Like do not think, well, I'm a strong finisher. So for example, that's my forte. I I close really well. So I can just take this first rep easy and close. No, because if anything, I need to work on the beginning of my 400. So for now, I really make sure like the first rep is, especially if it's like um, a high intensity workout, first rep needs to be purposeful and needs to be strong because then it just kind of builds for the rest of them. And that last one is going to be that much stronger, or at least you're going to know you push from the beginning. So that's giving me a lot more like strength mentally. And of course, physically, because mentally I go, and you start off really strong. You have to finish strong. And of course, physically, I think that it makes me less uh, tired. First time, of course, <laughs> it's, it's it's tough. First year, I was going to say, yeah, first year of doing that is really tough because you're like, what? I'm not even giving myself a chance. But um, doing the first one, I should say like intentionally, it doesn't have to be so much faster, but intentional. That's really the key for me uh, to get the most out of my workouts and really get the most out of a season. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to piggyback off my last question, how do you set goals? Are they specific in nature or are they loose ended? Do you place them in plain sight or is it something you keep internal? Perfect. Uh, yeah, so I have some plain sight ones. Uh, for example, with the Olympics this year, I want to um, qualify for the relay 4x4, um, either one. You know, there's the women's 4x4 and then the mixed 4x4 and uh, finish in the top three in the 400 um and i would love to i think i oh yeah i wrote last year a time that i wanted but um that didn't work because i think it was like a almost like a countdown so every time i raced i went oh you're this far from it 
So I'm not doing that anymore, but I am going to um, keep reminding myself like this workout was really strong. You know, you can do this better. And so again, back to my phone, I write notes in there. And um, so I've stayed away from the times and gotten more into every practice being intentional and letting those, like all those accumulations show out when I race. Yeah. That's helped a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very smart. And I think I've changed my goals, how I set goals too. So yeah, it's, it's cool to hear someone else's perspective on that. And um, as you know, mindfulness and mental health have been such important and such a topic of discussion. And you've mentioned how you've worked with the sports psych. Um, How do you incorporate mindfulness into your daily routine? Um, So for me, it's deep breaths. I know like everybody says that, but it really helps, especially um, I'm getting my master's now at Ryerson in digital media. So it's constantly projects and uh, group meetings and everything's online. So it's kind of tough to synchronize, but I remind myself that, you know, if I'm so kind to other people and, you know, I, I should do that to my, for myself first. So I've been really pushing that um, mindset of kindness and acceptance and also not having like, again, going back to my goals with track, not having 10 things, lined up and then feeling like, Oh no, I only did five. Instead, I just have a like priority. So obviously I should do this. That's due, you know, sooner. And then I go down to, okay, what, what can I still do? And, um, I try not to move on to the next thing too quickly. So for example, I used to like hash out assignments, like back to back to back to back. And then I look outside and it was blackout. So I was like, well, okay, I need to go for a walk. I need to stop. I need to cook. Like, that's a big thing for me. Like I love to cook, but I need to actually do it and not be reading assignments and you know watching videos at the same time so prioritizing things and making space for just that that's helped a lot for my mental health um and talking to people yeah like I think for sure having that group once again going back to you know talking about my mom being vulnerable and how important it is so like for me I have my support group that I talk to every day and so Great. And also actually recently, um, I've been zooming so much more and podcasting and talking to athletes and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in a year and a half. How has that happened? It's so quick. And then we realized like, I just talked to Farajak, you know, and that was such a wonderful chat because we both are in the same situation where we don't know what indoors has to hold because we are in Canada and Oh my gosh, if we don't have an indoor track, I don't know what's going to happen. But we're both keeping each other, um, we're both supporting each other, we're both going to push each other that even if we have to train outside, it's okay. We're ready. We're going to have that shovel ready. And that way we both go into uh, nationals having that sense of, wow, like I saw what you pushed through and you were there for me. Like I'm not alone in this and who can stop us? You know, we really put in the work. So talking to people, even people, like I said, that you haven't talked to in a year and a half, as scary as it is, like reach out and we know we're all in the same boat right now. So I think that's the best part too, about being on Team Canada. I think we're so supportive and it's amazing, like making new friends, even though it's virtual like this, um, it just feels like you're not as alone. And even when you have strange thoughts and um, maybe things that kind of bother you, that other person have the same ones. And then like, you know, you just, oh my gosh, me too. And you realize, again, how grateful we are to have the opportunity to speak to each other. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think as we've all learned this year, the journey of sport and life isn't always linear. Uh, when you face adversity, uh, what do you use as an anchor to bring you back to center? Oh, really, really good. Um, I think it's about pausing and really, really, really looking at what's the issue at hand and remembering that you know, you have to look back at like what you've gone through to get to that point. And if something really brings you down, it's so important again to speak out and talk to people, but also that it's depending on what it is, you know, it really depends on the circumstance, but let's say if it's a bad race, you can look at it as this is a point for me to realize like, you know what, it's really just me, you know, like it's, I'm the one who's going to determine how I'm going to react to this. And if that's, I'm going to get back on that track and I'm going to fix what, what didn't go well. Or if it was a mental uh, aspect, I'm going to reach out and get more help. That's really the best thing you can do. But uh, it's really tough. Actually, it's a really tough question because I have to say, like, I have times when something really gets me down. Like, I just don't do anything. I just sit in my room and I'm like, this really freaking sucks. But I think that time helps a lot. Um, but if it's something really, really intense, like it's really, really, um, can feel it, you know, like in your heart, I really would say reach out to somebody. And uh, it always helps when it's somebody that like knows you outside of track, because I feel like they really, really know you and it can bring up things that have nothing to do with track. So that way they can kind of remind you of like, you have a persona outside of your sport. It's okay. <laughs> Even if like tomorrow, you know, everything stopped and there wasn't any sports, like you still have so much to give to the world and you know it doesn't just end with um with like a bad performance or obviously circumstances changing because you just have to remind yourself like what what got you to do this in the first place and it's it's like those skills that you learn you can transfer them to anything and um it's just like about all those people that you've touched in your life like those are the ones i'm telling you like i'll have people that reach out to me out of nowhere and they say wow, like your posts are so inspirational. I'm thinking, what? I'm just posting. Like, there's no way people even care. And then it actually, you know, does affect people. And that's really, really amazing. So yeah, just being easier and um, yeah, giving yourself that time to really heal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, having that team is so important too. That team, that web of people that uh, that you can really talk about and or, and talk and talk to. And um, I think you know, as you and I, we love track and field, but there's more than just f athletics. And you know, the term "more than an athlete," which is a phrase popularized by LeBron James and his media company. Uh, what does that phrase mean to you? Um, and then also, can you share some of your hobbies outside of track? Because for me, um, I definitely see you as more more than an athlete and successful in you know many many different scopes in life. Thank you, thank you so much. Okay, so more than an athlete to me means that you really you can identify yourself as somebody that. Um, somebody that really can contribute to society and things outside of just the athletic, uh, you know, environment. And of course things overlap, but for me, for example, I always loved sports. So I love being fit, but I always, I also love being, you know, around people and like, you know, interacting. So I actually was able to, uh, 
I'm, I'm a Pittsburgh ambassador and I got into that by reaching out for a game plan and uh, I got to talk to girls around uh, Montreal and uh, also space in Quebec. So got to do some French, uh, French presentations. And I remember just being like, wow, this is a really good outlet for me because it doesn't have to do directly with my sport and what times I've run. It's just girls looking up to me as somebody. And I remember when I was young and looked at somebody older talking to me like, Oh my gosh, they're here. What? So I just love that. I love when girls ask me how often I train and I love when they ask me like, you know, um, how, how do you feel comfortable in your own skin? Those kind of tough questions that we've all been through. And it's, and I think that's so important because I know if I was their age, like when I was at that time, uh, figuring out what sport I wanted to do, or even if I wanted to do sports, it would have been really cool to have an Olympian come and just talk to me about the, the great things about it, the hard things about it. And then I would have been a little bit more prepared. Um, and then also, um, I think it's so great that when it comes to track, I feel like we're always on a stage. So I think that for the most part, we're used to attention and like people watching us. So I transferred those skills to modeling. So I actually model as well. Uh, Pluto Models is one of my agencies in Toronto and Montage Models is in Montreal. So I follow in my mom's footsteps and I love, I just love modeling. I love when the camera's on me. I'm learning more too about like positioning and my body and what I look like. And I think that now the modeling industry is just so much more healthy and accepting. And my modeling agency, Plutinos, has done an amazing, amazing job with inclusivity, hiring um, everybody from back, like different backgrounds uh, in de- in design and uh, you know makeup and of course models and I think that I'm really fortunate to uh, as, as some people have pointed out like I'm, I'm older it's so funny I'm an older model <laughs> but I didn't let that stop me because I knew that I had um, just, I, I love working with people and I think that's the best thing that has come out of it is people saying like oh you know it's always a pleasure working with you and it's like, you know, I bring that light to the set and it's nice when, you know, you can be in an environment that's really positive like that because it has, again, nothing to do with your performance and it just feels like really validating because I, you know, get to go and do something creative and uh, it's usually, again, uh, athletic shoots, but once again, you know, I get hired on my own merit, it has nothing to do with like being an Olympian and uh, that also helps with my confidence. So those are two things I do and, um, also, I've started to like go back into my creative side and start drawing and painting. And I really love that because I think that nature is just like always around us, but we don't really get a chance to, well, at least here in Toronto, because I'm in the city, <laughs> we don't really get a chance to um, embrace it as much. So um, before the pandemic happened, like my mom and I would always go out to the country somewhere like up north just so we could be outside and we'd watch like comets and um watch the stars and i always remember loving those outings that we have so that's something i've always kept in me and now i'm trying to mimic that even in the city landscape (laughs) yeah yeah no for sure and uh one of the things i was most excited to talk to you about is female in sport and female sport um i mean females have always been very successful successful within sport but recently especially within canada you've seen just so many great performances by uh women i think we're we're they're starting to get um the recognition that they deserve um from what my mom's telling me and you know i i i usually bounce it off her first um and so what would you what type of growth would you like to see over the next five to ten years within the most sport or just new companies coming in or just new things coming in 
love to hear um, from you. I'm still so surprised and confused as to why there are so few like female coaches in, especially in track and field, since we're, uh, you know, such a, we, we cover so many uh, groups of people, of all genders. And it's just so surprising that a majority of people are, are the coaches, which they are also qualified and wonderful are male. And it, it's just interesting because I wonder sometimes if, um, what that has to do with, you know, because we're all athletes. So what's to say we can't be coaches and, and, uh, coach, uh, coach the same sex, you know? So that would be really, really great to see more female representation at the coaching level. And, um, in terms of what I like to see in terms of growth, um, I mean, I'm really lucky that I get to train, I think side by side, like men and women. I mean, the mix really is a great example that there's now this opportunity to work together. I think that that's what I really love to see. And um, I mean, always representation really matters. So in the media, like I think that um, sports that also aren't as uh, equally um, shown, like, you know, with the both genders and in track and field, like, okay, we're going to show the men's 100 and the women's. Well, for example, for like, I find with soccer, you know, it's, it's never like shown at the same rate. And I feel like whenever I'm watching TV, I'm always going to see like the men's soccer game as so the women's, even though they do so well. And um, I think that if it comes to like just broadcasting, I would love to see more of that equal representation. And uh, yeah, I think I'm, fortunate enough to say like in track and field at this level I find that we we know there are a lot of really great great attributes to that but um I think even when you're younger like in high school I think that there should be a lot more programs uh to push girls that to do sports and um to encourage them in any level because sometimes I feel like there's only the one level that is uh encouraged and you know some girls they just want to walk you know they don't want to run and that should be encouraged so that it's not just this okay if you're not you know really fast then forget it don't try um so a lot more of that encouraging like come go out there be with your friends make it a social uh event but also add that athletic element that would be incredible and at a young age i think that's where we really need it yeah absolutely and you had mentioned body image earlier and thankfully that's something that has come up into the forefront but how can we keep that there and also keep on improving that yeah oh my gosh well right now it's really hard with social media um i think that that's coming from the expectation and like it's just such a unachievable standard because I think there needs to be a lot more conversation as to what is real and what isn't um, because we need to talk about the business side of social media and how uh, companies are going to profit if girls, you know, post a lot more and uh, have certain features. So if young girls weren't um, like, we're more encouraged to use it to encourage each other and support each other. I think that would be amazing because it's, it's naive to say, don't use social media. Like we're all using it. And I think it can be a great thing. You know, I, I mean, the fact that you post such creative and, you know, like enticing content, I feel like there needs to be more of that. And so I feel like the same thing with young girls in high school that are scrolling through their phone, seeing one type of girl, you know, being labeled as the norm, there needs to be a lot bigger of a conversation as to why that may seem like it. And um, it, just like a bigger push for authenticity. And um, yeah, I think that it really starts with social media because I didn't, I didn't, I grew up with it, but in 
college, like a little, little bit in high school. But I have to say, I've seen uh, how early it starts and how, unfortunately, at like the age of nine, you know, there's already talks of diet. And I do, I do have to say, when people ask me what my diet is, I always change and reframe it. I say, well, I don't have a diet, but I always gravitate towards, um, you know, whole green, you know, uh, vibrant colored fruits and vegetables. And I, I eat what I need to fuel myself. So I always use those kind of words. I think that's really important too, um, as people that young people look up to, especially young girls, using words like, um, you know, strong. Uh, I'm, I'm so, you know, so proud of what my body could, could do, you know, and I'm, I'm so glad I got to attain these goals of mine. And um, I feel so healthy and, you know, things like that, as opposed to it's bikini season and, you know, oh, I... I don't want to eat this because, uh, oh my gosh, it's like, it's, it's, you know, talking about calories and things like that. I think we need to just make sure that we watch how we say things um, so that it's always um, very, very encouraging and like have as a, has a positive um, connotation to it. Yeah. And I think healthy should always go above, above performance. And that's something I've always believed. And my mama has always just said, just eat a balanced meal. If you eat the good things, and it's fine. You can have ice cream. You can have like all these things. And um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy sometimes um, the lack of education I feel as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, starting that that would be a great to implement. Uh, and again, public schools everywhere uh, that young age that this is what what you should eat so that you can maintain a healthy lifestyle as opposed to oh, this is what you should eat to lose weight. Because those two things are so different. Yeah, for sure. And so I have five fun rapid fire questions real quick. Yes. Um, best advice you have received? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I think uh, it's probably there's so many things. Probably from my mom. Um, yeah, just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, like I said, it's that straightforward. Whether it's being like, oh, I need to make a really scary call can do it make the call you know make that call to that person you're a little bit like oh no i don't know what they're gonna say it's gonna be fine and then oh for racing obviously you're like oh my gosh i'm so scared i don't even know if i can get out of these blocks don't be afraid don't be afraid so yeah she's always taught me that awesome og classic fat so pb or the uh or the cocoa ah, okay well they just like mastered their cocoa so now it doesn't get super hard. So this is so tough. Okay. Okay. I'm going to explain. Classic because it goes with everything. But I think for that satisfying dip and you're just like, you just put a whole spoonful of cocoa. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I had to get you on the uh, fat soap peanut butter. So um, your favorite destination? I'm going to say so far Tanzania because it was my first time in the continent of Africa and I really want to go back because my family is from Nigeria um, and I would love to go and to, to visit my great grandmother's grave just so you know, pay my respects and see my ancestors. And um, Tanzania is like south of Africa. And it was amazing because I got to go in the Serengeti and go and like see just the beauty that it was. And I just wasn't expecting that. And it was such a long trip, but it was so worth it. And it only went for seven days. So I definitely need to go longer. And I think where I would love to go would be um, 
the Maldives just because the water looks so blue and perfect. And I think all of us right now have all been thinking, I would love a vacation. <laughs> so that's kind of like the first thing that comes to mind in terms of where I'd love to visit eventually. Absolutely. PB or a win? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, okay, okay. That's a good question because so for people who are like a little bit wondering what's the difference so obviously if you're racing and you're like with a bunch of people that are really really good you want to win but at the same time if you're like if you're trying to make standard then you want to be oh this is so tough okay 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 hold on hold on no but then sorry no if you want if you're in a race that is surprisingly like chill so that you you pb that'd be so much better okay i'm gonna go with pb but it has to be Olympic standard. <laughs> it's like so specific. Okay, PB, PB. <laughs> That's such uh, a tough question. Oh my gosh. Uh, most influential person outside of your family? Ooh, outside. Okay. I'm going to say, I really, okay, I really love Serena Williams. Um, I think she's an incredible businesswoman. And every time I see her, She's always so gracefully um, handling what the media says about her. And I just feel like I just watch her. I'm like, I don't think I would ever react in such a poised way if people constantly were talking about what I was wearing and uh, how I reacted when, of course, people get emotional and, you know, frustrated. And when it comes to her, it's always, oh, she's, you know, she's, she's doing so much, so extra. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. But then, of course, she just takes it in stride. And she's like, how many, you know, how many grand slams that she won and she has a baby and now she's just playing to play and i think it's amazing and um i think again her age too is amazing because a lot of times like uh all of us experience this like when you hit your 30s like in track there's always that sense of like oh are you done but obviously in tennis it's very similar like people are wondering when she and fred are gonna retire but i love how they don't let that kind of question always determine what they're doing because who, who's to say like Things are getting so much more advanced and uh, look at mental health. You know how we're talking about mental health so much more now? I feel like that's really helped because it's like so much less taboo. And I just love how unapologetic she is and how she's um, made such a strong stance with uh, her values and um, bringing such important issues to light. Yeah, absolutely. And so I have two last questions that I ask everyone who's on my podcast. First, where can people find you on the socials? Yes, of course. All right. So on Instagram, it's at Misha Jada. Jada is my middle name. And on, on Twitter, it's Misha underscore Powell. Um, yeah. And I'm definitely going to be planning some uh, pro- upcoming projects. So you want to definitely check it out. <laughs> and last but not least, um, what do you want your impact to be on the world? Oh, yeah. So I already feel like um, me continuing to run at this level and doing the most I can has uh, impacted people around me because it's really tough to go after a dream that is so uncertain. And so a lot of people have told me like, wow, you know, you keep persevering and you don't, um, you don't stop. And I think that that can just transcend into so many things. So that's really great that I've heard that. And I know for, me in the future, I want to create um, digital content that uh, promotes um, Black women in sport, Black women in the media, and just to give us more of a, of a multifaceted 
story so that everybody can see themselves in uh, in, in us and and in a black girl that you know can uh, can just talk about her experience in sport and in life. And uh, I really want to make sure that my so I have two younger sisters that they um, just see me as someone who is positive um, and strong and just really uh, really wants to like push herself just uh, beyond beyond the limits. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you get notified when the new podcasts get released. That's it from us here at the Strides with Grey Wolf podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Strides with Grey Wolf. Follow your host's journey to the Paralympics at Nate Grey Wolf. Remember, disability isn't inability.